Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a podcast that many are saying is the Brendan McCollum of Cricket Podcasts. Just don't ask who is saying it. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in. This week, I'm joined by guest host Jay Dunsingani of All Over Cricket. Jay has previously appeared on the podcast to talk about associate cricket, and I couldn't think of a better person to co-host this special episode featuring Yasmin Daswani, aka Yas. Now, Yaz is a London-based associate solicitor, but since that is beyond the scope of this podcast, we just decided to speak with her on her role as the vice captain of the Hong Kong women's cricket team. Me and Jay spoke with Yaz about her journey into cricket, the disparity between men and women in associate cricket, the importance of the recently concluded Fairbreak Invitational Tournament, and the platform that Yaz helped co-create, Associate Women in Cricket. We discussed all this and more, so stay tuned for a very illuminating conversation. So, yes, uh, for, first of all, thank you so much uh, for coming on to our podcast. Uh, I know our listeners will not know all the different challenges uh, we had to face to make this happen, um, but we're glad you finally made it. Um, now, I do want to kind of jump into your background because that's the first thing that struck me. Um, I know a lot of people who are very passionate about cricket, um, but you have done something that I've come to realize that it's not very uncommon, at least uh, in associates cricket and women's cricket, is where you're a cricketer, but you also have like another full-time job. And so the thing that struck me about you was that you're a lawyer in London, um, but you also have time to captain Hong Kong. So I'm really curious for myself and you know any other listeners who are not familiar with your story um, how did you get into cricket and you know just decide you wanted to invest so much time and passion into the game so I'll just correct you there because um so I'm vice captain I'm not captain um captain is Carrie okay. Chan, who's an incredible um she's an incredible captain for Hong Kong um okay. 
but to answer your question so I started playing cricket when I was quite young so my mom got me into it um we're Indian by descent I grew up in Hong Kong I speak more Mandarin than I do Hindi and so my mom made us like start watching you know India play cricket because she wanted us to have some sort of identification with where we were from um exactly um and then she wanted to do a mother-daughter bonding activity so like kind of forced me initially to play cricket when I was like 11 or 12 um, as a mother-daughter bonding activity and I think as a kid you know it was in like the adults league with a hard ball I used to jump out the way like I wasn't that keen on it I was a really keen swimmer but I think we went away on a tour an under 19s tour when I was about 13 um and from then on I just fell in love with the game because I think I met people my own age so quite a few of them are still playing now so Carrie Chan being one of them Marika Hill um a lot of us came up through the under 19s programs and yeah so we went away to Thailand it was like a chance to be away from home away from parents and to have some freedom um and we we all fell in love with the game but falling in love with the game is one thing you, you you've made kind of a career out of it too right it it does take a lot of your time no so 100%. how how did you make that decision to say well I know I have a stable job, but this is what I'm really passionate about. So I'm really going to go out of my way to make time for this. I think it kind of ebbed and flowed. So I, I don't think I always knew that this is what I wanted to do. It kind of, I mean, women's cricket has just grown and grown and grown. So we're getting opportunities now that just didn't exist when I was a kid. So, I mean, like Hong Kong had only just started up a women's team um, when I started playing. It, it, it was like in, an, in its infancy, it was quite new. Um, and I think... Yeah, I mean, I went away to university, I actually stopped playing for a few years while I went away to university and then came back to it again after uni. And I think that's when I properly fell in love with it and decided kind of, you know, you're young for a little period of time, I can I have the rest of my life to be a lawyer. But you have a small window to be an athlete and to kind of see what like how good you can become at a sport I kind of love that challenge. Like I want to see how good Like it's not necessarily comparing yourself against other people. But it's just how good can you become yourself? How much can you contribute to the team? And I absolutely love the girls. I mean, these are these are some of my best friends. So you're doing it for them as much as you are for yourself. Um, right. I want us to qualify. Some of them come from lower income backgrounds. This would mean the world, you know, if, if we could qualify for things and start getting funding in um, and properly fund people. Because at the moment, everyone's just playing for passion. Um, right. I know that, yeah, the next generation and our generation would love to be professional if possible and do this full time. And it does sound like you had a lot of support from your parents um, because I'm trying to think, you know, when I was a kid and I was in love with cricket and I wanted to become a cricketer, um, it was almost this typical uh, typical Indian mindset of, well, cricket is not going to put food on the table, mm-hmm. so you need to become a doctor. Um, or a lawyer. Was... So, I mean, my parents aren't that, <laughs> aren't that different from yours. <laughs> Or an engineer, you know, <laughs> exactly. um, and this is the late 90s and it's in India. So, you know, that was the attitude um, among, you know, parents. And I feel like a lot of cricketers, you know, be it, you know, the the main, uh, the bigger countries, cricketing nations, or even like an associate's cricket, it's really hard to do it without support, you know, mm-hmm. be it from your family, from your employer, from your friends. So how big was that role for you, you know, your parents, like just for you to get into this? It's huge. I think, 
I mean, my parents have always been supportive. I think they were typical Asian Indian parents where they were like, you know, same as yours. Um, this isn't going to put food on your table. So you need to get good grades. You need to go to a good university. You need to like, you know, they've got such high expectations. You've got to do all that first, like secure a right. really job and a good career. And then you can do whatever you want. Um, so because I think because of my mom's just been like at this point I think she's just thrown her hands up she's just like okay well you've done all that so yeah you do what you want now as well and, and she's the one who went to it so you know <laughs> no it is it is incredible and I mean my employer's been so supportive as well so I've been in, I've really really lucked out in that sense I work for a firm called Fladgate in London um and they do you know all sorts of different types of law I'm a litigator um so we go to court and everything like that um but but my bosses have just been really supportive. And what's what's incredible as well is they're two men um, and they're the biggest champions, like, you know, in, in a career sense, as well as in a cricketing sense, they really do support me. And I think, yeah, it's just incredible. Do a lot of people at your work know that you also play cricket? And how does that conversation go? Yeah, they do. Um, I think it's become a bit of a joke. They're just like, oh, where are you off to now? And I'm like, actually, now that you mention it, there's this tournament coming up. So how do you feel about me going away? Um, but no, they're really supportive. Like they'll all watch the scores. Like there's quite a few of them who watch the scores. Um, one of the partners when we were at Fair Break um, screenshotted a video um, of me like talking and stuff like in the stadium and he shared it around to the partners and stuff, which I thought was really sweet. Um, so they do follow it. And yeah. And and they've I've had so we've got a Fladgate cricket team, um, mm -hmm. and one of them gave me like keeping tips. He's a really good keeper, so they helped out with that as well. I was like <laughs> one of two girls playing, um, and yeah. I hope you don't mind me butting in here, but I feel like you know this is this is one of the biggest topics in women's cricket and associate cricket right now, uh, the Fair Break Invitational, and you know some of the listeners might not know this, but it was broadcast in more than a hundred and forty countries, right? Um, so, you know, Benny, I feel like I, you know, I'm kind of skipping ahead for, for a second, but, you know, no, that's it's, fine. <laughs> it's just something that, you know, that's, that's on my mind. You know, you were at the Fair Break Invitational playing for the spirit. And, you know, you, you look at the champions, uh, the Tornadoes, their bowling core comprised of, uh, what, Chanita Suti Ruang, Sita Rana Mugger, uh, Malaysia's Winnie Duray Singham, right? That's, that's an associate bowling core. And they were a big reason why the Tornadoes won the tournament. Right, Winnie Dure Singham, you know, getting Georgia Redmayne, and I maybe uh, don't quote me on this, but perhaps Sune Luce in the same over, right? Um, mm -hmm. And this was, you know, far from an isolated example as well. So, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm just like, I, what, what is my question here? My question is, you know, just talk to us more about Fair Break Global, uh, you know, your expectations of it heading into the tournament, and, you know, just what it was like um you know just to be there and your thoughts at the end of the tournament I think I mean we just wanted to learn we we went in with the mindset of just I just want to learn like I'm super grateful to be here um it was an incredible opportunity and I just wanted to soak it all in and just learn from the players like you know some of the best players in the world um I was lucky enough to have like so Sophie Eccleston Sophia Dunkley in our team and they're just like, you know, the, the standard you talked about bowling um, in terms of bowling. Yes. Like I feel like the associates competed, but in terms of batting, I'd say the, the, the top test playing nations were just so in my opinion, really far ahead, to be honest, like they could hit these sixes, they could clear the boundary ropes. Um, they were the really big threats. Um, and once you got into the associates, it wasn't, you know, we could all get 
singles and we could all kind of strike at maybe 100 but nowhere near you know what other people like 150 160 sort of strike rate so just the amount that you can learn from them like I was speaking to Nicola Carey and she was saying you know um the drills that she did to practice the reverse sweep that she was pulling off so brilliantly so yeah it's just invaluable that sort of thing um and then you kind of the aim was then to take it back so when we play um you know in tournaments like the ones that were coming up now we want to be able to take some of the stuff that we've learned and apply it ourselves and also teach our teammates who weren't able to go yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because you know i spoke to sita rana mugger for an interview and you know she said something very similar as well um like she she actually talked me through this this one thing i believe it was either stefani taylor or sophie divine who told her this but you know in 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 the west indies or in new zealand they, they have targeted training so let's say for example you know nicola carey she wants to improve her reverse sweeping which i mean she did brilliantly throughout the <laughs> tournament um you know she'd have one day where that's all she'd focus on you know if the next day she might focus on on you know, just power hitting and clearing the infield kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's that's also the benefit of of being in um, a full-time professional environment where, you know, you can, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you can have, you know, four or five targeted sessions per week where you're only practicing one thing as opposed to, you know, mm-hmm. what, what Sita described to me where, you know, you kind of just show up to practice and practice and you just do everything. Um you know so yeah it was it was was really interesting to hear you say that it it seems like the feedback is 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 very um you know similar in 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 that sense yeah but um i guess this facilities i guess and the coaching stuff so they've got i mean the facilities they have the coaching staff that they have available so you can do like one-to-ones as for you know you can just book a coach and go with them and like you said range hit or work on the reverse sweep whereas in in associate nations you just don't have the facilities and or you don't have the coaching staff you don't have the personnel so you've got maybe one head coach if you're lucky like the women's team has their own designated head coach who's there for everything but I know a lot of teams share them with the men or like you know Germany um their coach lives in a different country and comes in you know once a month to coach them or like coaches them like online so it's just it's really difficult I mean you're really juggling with a lot a lot of different issues within associate countries yeah I, I mean i hope i'm not putting you on the spot here but you know um whether it's on you know a high level administrative level or you know otherwise what how do you close that gap between um associate cricketers and and full member cricketers i think it's investment isn't it i mean it comes down to kind of all of like coaching and you know having coaching staff and um, having facilities it all costs money and so you need somebody to invest in it and also to take the women seriously so in in some countries the women are you know the men get primary places they get the primary slots they get you know the best pitches they get all the coaches and then the women kind of get the leftovers and get pushed to wherever you know the the rubbishy grounds or have astroturf instead of actual turf and so you kind of you need people to take women's cricket seriously and to really like you know you can't expect performances if if there hasn't you know there hasn't been work into the infrastructure as well um and you know as well like having good setups with like age groups and stuff like that I mean there was just an under 19s tournament and 
certain countries are now going to do really well because they're un, you know their youngsters have had good exposure whereas other teams just you know other countries didn't manage to put forward a team which is a shame <laughs> yeah you know um it's it's interesting to hear you say that because it's it's not just like you know at least that's the feeling i get it's not like an associate only problem you know even like full members like sri lanka sri lanka went 631 days between international fixtures so between their last game at the T20 World Cup and and their first game um of of the World Cup qualifier last year um so i mean yeah it's it's not just yeah like as far as i'm concerned like it's not just like um an, an associate only and um, excuse me associate only problem is it no and i guess the associates have the fact that so their best players maybe decide that they're going to go abroad and play somewhere else and decide so you kind of need to have the locals invested in it as well like so what hong kong's doing well is like trying to get local chinese to play cuz that is the future you need the locals to take it up you can't have loads of expats playing basically um you, you need a core group who are in hong kong and who where hong kong really is their home but is it fair to say that things have improved a lot in terms of just you know more people becoming aware of it for example like again when i was growing up i didn't even know there was cricket besides men men's cricket let alone associate cricket or women's cricket uh but in the last few years i feel like women's cricket has been a lot more front and center mm-hmm. and even like you know the thailand women's team you know mm-hmm. during the, the previous tournament they they made such headlines and you know there's so much goodwill so in that sense do you is it fair to say that things have they're still improving they're going in the right direction is that fair to say definitely yes yeah i think social media helps as well because everybody can create their own plat- platforms so you're no longer reliant on you know the marketing that your board is doing like players individually can start to kind of market themselves and like get greater exposure um so yeah one of the good things about social media and then, and it is yeah and i agree like i think that there are steps like things like tournaments like fair break are steps in the right direction Right. And also like the World Cup the exposure that like got, you know, Australia, England, like you said Thailand. Right. Well, more specifically to Hong Kong, I want to kind of get your thoughts on the talent pool. Mm-hmm. Um because so recently we had Peter Delapena of ESPN Cricket Info on our podcast and he was talking about how there are about 20,000 plus male uh club cricketers in the US but the number of total women who play cricket is in the low hundreds. Mm-hmm. Uh do you see such a vast difference in the talent pool in Hong Kong where there's this huge disparity between men and women in terms of taking up the sport? Yeah, definitely. I think there is a disparity. Um the the main people who take up the sport, men male and female, I think are kind of Pakistani Indians Sri Lankans you know that sort of thing so from countries that tend to play cricket English um right. Hong Kong had a massive expat community um but yeah there's a lot more men play it than women and I think that's also like to do with kind of what's pushed at schools um even from when I was a kid you know like girls played netball boys played rugby and cricket there was like some male sports and female sports so that that's got a big thing like that's got a big reason to do with why there's obviously a disparity when people get older as well um but i think that's changing that's like 
people are recognizing that you know shouldn't have women in men's sports (laughs) (laughs) and um i I know that in the late 90s and early 2000s we used to hear a lot about the hong kong sixes tournament and that was the first time i realized cricket and hong kong go together in some capacity uh was that a big thing because i know in, in india it would be heavily promoted you know in the local cricket channels um but in hong kong itself was that you know was that giving more visibility to cricket yeah definitely it was um again i think it was like the the kind of asian communities that really turned out in force um but i remember it being a huge thing that we used to go to as kids and you know people would be playing like the vuvuzelas and you'd have sri lankans on the drums or like and indians and and it was like really colorful and a lot of fun because the kcc so the venue that they were at um is quite small it's kind of the perfect size to make like a real good atmosphere um and like perfect boundary size so it was exciting because balls were like flying all over the place it was it was awesome so much fun i'm glad to hear that (laughs) (laughs) but uh one thing you did mention and i think that kind of uh, brought to mind something that i've been thinking about over the past few years is you know there's a very heavy subcontinental flavor to a lot of the associate nations right Mm -hmm. it's the same in the u.s where probably 80 percent are of indian or Pakistani origin Mm -hmm. and I've seen this in social media from time to time where there is this whole debate about well we talk about growing the game but then when you see the actual players that comprise it Mm -hmm. it's usually like immigrants or it's you know people of Indian or subcontinental origin and I don't think that's a bad thing but how much of it is actually penetrating like that country you know where people like just taking U.S. for example, we don't see any Americans taking up the sport as much as it's people who are coming from India or Pakistan. They are the ones who come in and yeah. kind of make up. So, and I feel like that's across the board. And I feel like most associate countries, I see that. Do you think that's important? Like, do you think that it's a factor at all? It's do you think it's a, it's worth talking about? Um, I guess so. There's two points to that. So I guess there are countries where it has penetrated quite deep within the country and there was historically no cricket. So Thailand is an example where it's all Thai. Hong Kong, half of us, are, half, half, half of our team are actually local Chinese. Um, in terms of like the Indian Pakistani, I mean, I know that there are quite a lot of Indians who've been displaced and so have ended up actually being local to that country. So I'm a third generation person from Hong Kong. I know there's a lot of people. I mean, you look at places like England. If you told somebody who is brown, they're not English. Like, that's pretty insulting, actually. Because, <laughs> you know, like, because people really have integrated into those countries. They consider themselves yeah. locals. Like, in Hong Kong, like, the Pakistanis who play for Hong Kong speak Cantonese fluently. So what makes them less part of Hong Kong, you know? Like, the world's becoming, or was becoming more and more global. And so that's just part of globalization isn't it you have people who look different but are still from that country and you know they have kids maybe they mix like we don't know what the world's gonna look like but yeah Yeah, you you end up having a lot of like a lot of variety and I think it will penetrate like it it just takes time I guess it's a question of identity too right it's like what what do you think you are I guess it's kind of like a deep question (laughs) Um, I mean if you have you may have you may be of Indian origin, but if you have lived your entire life, like in Hong Kong or the U.S., what do you think you are? Are you American or, you know, you're from Hong Kong or 
is there a part of you that still feels you don't belong so i guess it's yeah i wouldn't fit in in india either like i'm brown i look indian but i wouldn't i probably would fit into india least or i know least about that culture whereas i know more about english culture and hong kong culture and i think there are a lot of people in that kind of who've got that kind of identity crisis or like third culture oh trust me i i i had that um not not to kind of uh divert attention to myself but i um I'm an American now, but I, I, I was born like in Saudi Arabia and I spent like a big chunk of my life there. Then I went to India for schooling and then I moved and I moved to the Philippines and then to the U.S. And there was a time when people asked me like where I'm from and I would struggle to answer because I didn't really feel like I fit in anywhere. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't until my late 20s uh, that I could say, OK, I'm from here i'm from the us i'm american mm-hmm. um in fact outside of cricket like i don't feel like i have any strong connection to india so i feel like especially for players when you're representing your country especially on the global stage it's almost like you need to know <laughs> who you are and where you're from um so I, I was just curious if you had that if you had to deal with that yeah, definitely. I can't. I mean, the men I think have it a lot worse. I think people calling them the Pakistani B team once at <laughs> a time. Um, so I've seen that a lot worse. But people have commented as well, like you know, if I've had an interview, they'll be like, "Why are these like? Who are these people? Why are they speaking in British accents? It's like they look Indian and, and they say they're from Hong Kong." You know, like <laughs> yeah, you do get questioned, but because our because our, our like Hong Kong, it's like a challenge in itself, like bringing together all these different cultures and getting everybody to kind of be unified because there's so many like nuances within cultures as well that you you want everybody to work right. together. Yeah. This is the first time you've had uh, three racially confused daisies on the same cricket podcast. <laughs> it might be, right? First time we've had two Hong Kongers on the same cricket podcast. It's like a mini therapy session. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Third culture kid uh, therapy session. <laughs> no, but um, you know, I I'd, I'd like to back up what Yaz said as well. Um, and it's for me, it's also about like like striking a balance, right? Um, you know, like Yaz said, it's, it's so important to have, you know, people of, for lack of a better word, I guess the dominant ethnicity, um, and and quote unquote locals, um you know, involved in, in, you know, in, in a team. But I think it's, it's also important to realize that different countries are at different stages of their development. Um, and I feel like with any country that plays cricket, it was, it was expats that first started playing cricket there, right? Like that's the start of the journey. Like even India, you know, um, the British came in, you know, Indians were like, wait, what is this interesting game that you're playing? It, it kind of reminds me of the, you know, that stick and ball game that I play, you know, in my free time, <laughs> right? So it's always an expat bringing cricket into the country to, to begin with. Um, and yeah, like, I feel like different nations are at different stages of their development. And, you know, now we, 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 we're starting to see more, you know, best practices emerging, right? Like we've, you've got Brazil, you've got Thailand. You even got, you know, Japan, for example. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it comes back to, to what you said earlier in the podcast. Yeah, as it comes down to investment as well. That, that That's a huge mm-hmm. thing. Um, you know, cricketing, cricket boards getting a, a 
absolutely tiny share of, you know, broadcast revenues um, and, and, you know, funding from the ICC. And, you know, you have much larger boards that, you know, don't really need this funding, right? You have the BCCI. Dude, I don't even know what, what those media rights were going for. Some absolutely stupendous numbers, right? And, um, yeah, so I, I just don't think the trolls on social media, I don't think they see it. And I don't think they really care about that either. You know, they just want their lazy opinions. Yeah, they just want their lazy opinions and, you know, sometimes even racism. <laughs> they they cross the line into, yeah. you know, racism and xenophobia as well. So, uh, yeah, just, just my two I cents. Guess, yeah. It's important, though, as well, to have representation from the country because I think it's kind of like anything. You can't be what you can't see. So, like, if you've got a Chinese face, like, leading Hong Kong then potentially that'll mean that you know other people in the community will look at it and be like oh this is something that I want to join like look at you know that they've got chances to go to all these cool countries and like you said get broadcasted so like it's easier to be something that you can see um, and it makes it feel more welcoming if if you see kind of people from that look like you <laughs> playing yeah, the sports so I do think it's important on some level and I think, um, you know, since we're on the topic of Hong Kong, Carrie Chan is a fantastic example of that. She is literally the poster child, the poster girl of Hong Kong cricket, right? Um, mm -hmm. When she first came through the system, you know, you can you can read this interview on allovercrick.com as well. When she first came through the system, it's not like she exploded onto the scene and, you know, was scoring 50s and 100s and, you know, taking fifers and stuff like that. Um, it, it took her close to half a decade to start feeling comfortable in, in the Hong Kong, you know, in the Hong Kong setup. And, you know, lo and behold, now she is, you know, Hong Kong's captain. She had a brilliant fair break global where I believe she was, ooh, I think she had like the fifth best economy rate or something like that um, out of all bowlers mm -hmm. to bowl at least like five overs, right? Um, mm -hmm. And she was bowling, she was bowling tough over. She was bowling the power play like she does in international cricket as well. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, like, you know, this is, it's, it's not a case of, you know, just having someone Cantonese there to, to you know, lead the side because, you know, because of tokenism. She is quite likely Hong Kong's yeah, best exactly. cricketer or, you know, definitely best two or three cricketers in Hong Kong um, yeah. right now. I completely agree. I completely agree with you. And I mean, Carrie is just an incredible character because she kind of she's one of those people that is just on a personal level. She's just so good with everybody so she's like really good at like bringing the team together she she can speak to everybody and anybody she's really fun to be around like you know she doesn't take herself too seriously and every all her messages are about you know I don't care you know we're just going to be a team we're going to like care about each other like we're a family and she yeah like I can't praise her enough kind of a thing like yes her performances are incredible but just as a human as well she's a really incredible person yeah yeah absolutely uh I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of speaking to Carrie and, you know, interviewing her as well. And yeah, you know, like she just, and you know, it, it, her story reminds me of yours in a, in a certain way, but you know, with, with some major differences, you know, um, like you said, a lot of, like Benny mentioned as well, a lot of associate cricketers are juggling full-time jobs along with cricket and with Carrie, you know, it's slightly different because, um, for a really long time, she was a really good development officer with cricket hong kong mm -hmm. um and sometime last year she got promoted to the the head of um i believe women and girls cricket at, at hong kong cricket club right so 
someone like Carrie Chan, you know, not not only is she, you know, this face um, that, you know, ethnically Chinese um, female cricketers can look up to. She she she's she's captaining the team. She's really good. And she's actually playing a pivotal role in, in growing the game uh, across Hong Kong, you know, getting you know, dozens of people a year. Um, there, there's some teams exactly. in Hong Kong that would not exist if it wasn't for Carrie Chan's uh, work as a development officer, you know. So, um, yeah. yeah, it just, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. And, you know, Carrie's just like one um, example of this. There's so many examples, you know, all over the uh, associate world, right? Like, I feel like, I don't know if Carrie's just like an anomaly or there are other stories like this, aren't there? No, definitely. Um, I think you have like Anuradha from like Germany, who's like trying really hard to grow the game. Um, Roberta from Brazil, like you, you, I know like through Fair Break, I guess. And also um, I have, a, I was doing something quite similar. So I was interviewing players as well um, on a platform called Associate Women in Cricket. And through that, I kind of learned a lot about different countries and kind of what they're doing to try and promote the game within their communities so there's just like a whole load of really passionate individuals who aren't doing this for money but it's for love of the game yeah 100 percent. and benny i think you had some questions about associate women in cricket like that was something that really interested you wasn't it i i did i i did because and to our listeners uh, associate women in cricket is a platform that uh yes helped create to promote associate women's cricket and yes it uh Two things that stood out for me uh, from your bio on the page. Uh, you say, it is my dream to get to a position where women's cricket and women's sports are talked about in equal amounts to men's sports. And I hope that children of tomorrow grow up having female role models who they can aspire to be like. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I see this already happening in country in countries like India, Australia, and England, uh, where women's cricket is now being talked about on par with men's cricket how much of a challenge is that currently at the associate women's cricket level um i think it's quite hard to be honest because i'm on social media and i follow all the pages that talk talk about associate women's cricket so it feels like you know there's quite a lot of chatter about it but i know that's just because of the stuff that i'm subscribed to but i think in comparison like just the coverage it gets like it's still nowhere near I wouldn't even say I mean in England that it gets equal coverage because I mean I take this I take the tube into work every day um and I get the papers every day and the back pages all covered in men's sports like you never ever see women's sports any women's sports like we get a tiny like women get a tiny mention somewhere at like the corner but it'll be plastered with football with cricket with all men's sports so I just think it's still pretty like, you know, there's still long ways to go. Um, and, and that's, you know, in a fully developed country. So fully developed nation, whereas, um, yeah, for associate members, it's it's not really talked about as much, but I'm hoping it gets there. Well, what's the unique challenge at the associate women cricket level? Is that you're competing not just with the men, but you're also competing with the more popular sports in that country? Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, you exactly that. Um, and you just you there's just not the investment in it so you just don't have as much like as many games so the women just don't play as many tournaments um as a result the standard's not as good but like you know there's potential there there are women who have the ability to go really far but you just kind of need yeah these regular tournaments you need to have 
but good for training and stuff like that. You know, one of the uh, on one of our more recent episodes, we were talking about Indian women's cricket, and I put forward a theory uh, that if the Indian women were to win a tournament like a World Cup, they would automatically get more respect. They would be treated more seriously. Uh, they would get the amount of resources that the men do at this point because I feel like for Indian men's cricket, a lot changed after the A3 World Cup and then even more recently with the World Cup wins, the T20 World Cup wins um, in 2007 and then the uh, 50 over World Cup win in 2011. Um, I feel that ultimately winning tournaments makes a difference. Mm -hmm. That's my theory. Do Do you... accept that or yeah, what are your yeah. thoughts for our teams to be uh, to be taken more seriously they need to win big, yeah, I completely you know, tournaments. Agree. but it's chicken and egg like i mean you, there's gonna be inevitably drop off like if you're if you're not funding a country then people are gonna drop out like you know people are gonna have to pursue other careers they're gonna have to get other jobs like not everybody can afford to you know support themselves Play, you know playing a full-time cricket you know playing as much cricket as they want in order to get them to that stage where they can compete you know in tournaments and win them but then yeah you, you know if you don't you know you'll get left behind by other countries that are funding their teams and then you know the countries that are funded end up winning the tournaments they get even more funding you know it's just it's a cycle but someone right. needs to invest first right it, it can't be especially when some countries are investing, it's not a case of everybody starts on a level playing field. Right. And I'm, and, and I'm, you know, now that I think of it, you know, like a team like the Thailand women's cricket team, um, you know, during the World Cup, there was just so much coverage on them. Um, they just seemed like this really happy bunch who loved playing the game. But I'm wondering since then, has there been any kind of work to continue to develop the game, to continue to improve the game? And yeah. I wonder if that's just indicative of how it is in, you know, associate cricket and women's cricket in general, where there's a lot of attention during the big tournaments. But then after that, it's just like, all right, let's move on to the men now. Well, no. So Thailand just got, didn't they get, just get an ODI status, Jay? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they did. So I they think, to... uh, and, and they'll be automatically, they'll automatically qualify for tournaments. So we're um, currently playing for the Asia Cup. We're in, we're playing for um, in the Asia Cup qualifiers at the moment, and Thailand are already straight through, so they they don't have to go through the qualification stages anymore that everybody else in Asia has to go through. Um, so they're already kind of ahead, and you know they're fully professional now. Um, so Jean's Natakan Chantham, she's playing in the the women's IPL, um, the women's okay. challenger series in India. Um, so she's got a fan base now and she played at fair break. So she's getting exposure. Um, and, and, and I think, I mean, Thailand, yeah. And they were in India recently for, um, you know, training. She was competing amongst the best players in the world. Like she's such a good player. And it's cause I mean, Thailand started investing years ago though. It hasn't just started, you know, recently they've got a really good under 19 side. They've got age group stuff coming through. Um, so, I mean, they just started earlier than everybody else, which is why they're doing better now. Um, right. so somebody had the foresight to say, you know what, these women are really good. Let's invest in them. Let's try and put time. It's not just money. It's time as well. Right. Like in, in the initial stages, it's also a lot of it's voluntary. Like people need to give up their time. You need obviously a good core group of players as well who are willing to sacrifice other things in order to pursue this. And they believe in a common goal. So it's a whole bunch of right. stuff. a whole bunch of circumstances, but they just seem to have the right circumstances in order to go far. 
as we kind of wrap up this episode, I want to bring it back to Hong Kong cricket. And uh, forgive my ignorance, but is there, you know, in the history of Hong Kong women's cricket, at least when you started playing, was there any cricketer that you looked up to who was a role model? Uh, was there anybody like that when you started? Yeah, definitely. Um, there was this lady called Nisha Pratt. Um, so she was, I think, the first captain of Hong Kong. Um, and she played in New Zealand. So she played, I think, first class cricket in New Zealand and just was this incredible player. I mean, we were all kids at the time. Um, and we it was kind of very much like the, the winds used to rest on her shoulders and she could like take the game away from the opposition. Um, and I just remember like, you know, she'd have like, she'd go into like, you know, gear two and she'd change her grip and all of a sudden just start whacking the ball um, and like playing all these like reverse sweeps uh-huh. and stuff like that. And I remember just watching her. I think I was too young really to take in or to like learn cool. in the way that I would now, but just, yeah, being like all inspired by her. And she was so supportive of all of us as well growing up and really like helped That's us. That's awesome grow. to hear. Mm-hmm. In, in that vein, um, who are the up-and-coming Hong Kong players that the world should be more aware of? Are there names that you think should be getting more recognition in the months and years to come? Yeah, I Apart mean... from you? <laughs> so, Mariam <laughs> Devi, um, Ikra Sahar. So, they're both really good youngsters. Um, they're just really passionate about the game. Like, Mariam, you know, when she gets a wicket, I've never seen someone, like, so happy. Um, and Ikra is a brilliant bowler as well and, like, has really good variations, which is incredible for someone of that age. So I think they're only, like, 18 and 19. Um, they've got amazing arms. Like, they can throw in from the boundary. Like, incredible arms, really athletic. So they're two to definitely watch out for. And they've got sick dance moves. So they keep us entertained, like, the whole bus ride, like, to and from. A bit too loud, if you ask me. But other than that, like, incredibly fun. <laughs> like, really you need sick. that. You, you need people who are so passionate about the game, passionate about life. So I'm really glad to hear there are characters like that uh, yeah. in your team. Uh, but, yes, thank you so much uh, for making time for us and talking to us, not just about Hong Kong women's cricket, but just, you know, women's associate cricket. I feel like there's just so much more to talk about, and especially in the coming months, it'll be interesting to see how the trajectory of not just Hong Kong cricket, but women's associate cricket continues to grow. And I know you're doing some amazing work with your own platform and in your own way. So um, thank you thank for that. It's yeah. nice to meet you and nice to see you again, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully I'll see you in like 48 hours from now. <laughs> at the uh, ACC Women's Championship. Yeah, Jay could sort out his travel issues. Uh, well, yeah. well, I'm hoping you know, Malaysian immigration can get me that uh, visa nice and quick. <laughs> I can hop on a plane and into the air-conditioned commentary box at the Kinrara Oval. Looking forward to some AC and um, some ACC action as well. That's such a bad pun. Um, we, we can cut that out of the episode. Like... <laughs> That was really bad, but uh, well, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, Benny, I mean, you know, thanks, thanks so much for you know inviting me on as well as a as a you know guest host, yeah. and um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think the last wicket, you know, you guys are doing really good work. Um, I really enjoy your episodes, you know, and especially your recent shift to to you know women's cricket and associate cricket. Of course, you know, I'm I'm definitely a fan of that, uh, you know, new <laughs> focus. And um, yeah, yeah, as I mean, you as well, you know, you speak so, so eloquently and so passionately 
about you know a more a global sport and you know just about associate cricket and stuff so um yeah i can't wait to you know have some of these conversations in person as well no looking absolutely and hopefully benny will meet one day if you're ever in england or hong kong let me know yes uh, the same applies to you both if you ever come to the u.s <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of The Last Wicket. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts Benny, Mayank, Nish, and Himanish. For more details, please visit thelastwicket.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate, and subscribe on your platform of choice. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening, and from all of us here at The Last Wicked, stay safe and stay healthy.